We're in between series, and uh, I just thought it'd be good to take a couple of weeks to kind of sniff the air a bit and see what God has been saying to us. I want to just pick up on a couple of themes that he's been bringing to us over the last few months. And this week I want to talk about the importance of corporate prayer. And then next week I want to talk about the power of praise. So we're going to do prayer and praise. I've had a bit of a challenge this week um, trying to write down exactly what I want to say about corporate prayer. And I don't have a sermon as such this week. There are different kinds of talks that you do at different times. Sometimes it's a prophetic message. Sometimes it's a visionary talk. Sometimes it's a sermon. It's all nicely organized with all your illustrations. Other times it's just a burden. And that's what I've got this week, just a burden that I want to share with you. I want to try and describe it to you. It's not always easy to put a burden into words. I want to try and unpack it a little and put it into a scriptural context, and we'll see where we end up. But essentially, this is what it is. The burden essentially is a growing sense of the need for corporate prayer, the breadth of which means that it will not be sufficient any longer for people to pray, some people to pray in ones and twos, but the whole church is going to be caught up in something. And to me, it's like a heartbeat. It's like a heartbeat of prayer, which I've been hearing. And it started like a distant drumbeat, but now it's coming closer. And I feel like we're all about to be caught up in its throb. And I can hear it in the Midlands in the heart of the nation, but it's not just here. This heartbeat is being picked up nationally. Lots of people are hearing it and speaking about it. I mean, several times at the Catalyst Festival, there was a burden of prayer that was mentioned, and prayer became a focal part of the whole festival. The intercessors and the prophets especially are talking about an urgency of prayer. I hear this heartbeat as well in the affairs of our nation at the moment, in a time of uncertainty and even some shaking of what, for many of us, is all that we've ever known. 1974, I was quite young. (laughs) It's come to an end overnight. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for Europe. We need to pray for our leaders. Can you hear it? Are you picking up the same thing? Can you feel it? We need to pray. We need to pray, and we're not obligated, actually. We want to. Has anybody else been feeling I just want to. It's a message that I'm hearing from all around the country at the moment. There's a burden, a growing heartbeat of prayer in the midst of the church. And I say this just as we open our prayer room. It's interesting, we hadn't planned to do this yet. I kept saying to myself, that's phase four. We'll get to that in phase four. That's at least a year or two away. We'll get to it. And then I found out that God had some other ideas. I mean, you know the story, it was a few months ago, two African godly men came to see me, and their names were Prosper and Teach. How about that? (laughs) 
Is that prophetic or what? Prosper and teach. And they said, and again, had this message for me. The completion of this prayer room is higher in God's agenda than it is on yours. And he will get it done. And it's done. <laughs> it's, it's done ahead of time. God's up to something. God's up to something. I don't even know quite what to do with this prayer room yet. I was speaking to Paul and Pauline this week, and we're all sort of sitting there saying, all we know is that God's told us to do this, to prepare space, to prepare room, but we don't know exactly what to do. We've got no particular plan or strategy, but God's up to something. He is. Recently, I was given a copy of a a first-hand account of what happened uh, in the years before the beginning of the house church movement. Now, I thought that it started in the 1970s, the move of the Spirit in the 1970s, maybe the 60s. We just about leaned back into the 60s. It's before I was born, so I don't know. It started in the 1950s, this move of the Spirit that has led to a lot of what we see today in the charismatic so-called renewal. And this was written by one of the first-hand uh, leaders of that time, who many of you won't even know. <laughs> it started back in Bradford, and he, he said, these are just a couple of observations that he made about that time. He said, something in the people made them pray. That was how he described that season. He said, asked for a reason, they'd probably not have known precisely what to say. They just prayed. Had they been asked, are you praying for revival? They might have said yes. Do you pray for souls? Yes, of course. But to have said what was the specific purpose of the prayer meetings would have beyond anyone's power. They prayed because they wanted to. They didn't pray because they believed in prayer. They did not pray because they believed in prayer. They came together for that purpose and loved it, and they prayed as though they couldn't help it. They were a people and they just prayed as though possessed of a power under an urge they couldn't resist. They poured out day after day, week after week, month after month, hours upon hours. How many only God knows? Surely it must be that before he poured out as they were seeking him to. God first poured out upon them the spirit of prayer. So all the glory must be his. But praise be to them also. They were big and determined enough to sustain the burden and scriptural enough to give themselves to such prayer and supplication. Occasions for prayer were multiplied. It seemed they couldn't get enough of prayer and no price was too great to pay. They spared themselves nothing. Special rubber pads were made to protect their knees during long hours of hard contact with the floor. floor. Hours would fly past. They were without weariness in the loved communion of prayer. Preceded the outpouring of the Spirit in the 1960s and 70s that we are living in the good of today. And the battles that were fought there, we live in the good of today. What's God doing now? What's he up to? The only way I can describe it is a burden, a, a heartbeat of prayer. Something in them made them pray. And every great move of God has always started with Holy Spirit-initiated, not guilt-driven, seasons of prayer. 
I've been involved in churches. You must pray, otherwise something won't happen. And the burden, the heaviness is put on. You've got to be there, got to be at the prayer meeting. And if you're not, then this. It's not that. That's not what we're talking about. There's something that God is doing. And I'm feeling it all the time. Friday morning, I was trying to prepare my talk. And I couldn't get much beyond just sitting in the presence of God and praying. Something's happening. Even in the book of Acts, let me try and put some biblical structure to this. Even in the book of Acts, the very first church, it was birthed in corporate prayer, because that's what we're talking about. I believe God's taking us beyond the ones and the twos. He's bringing us into the corporate prayer dimension. The early church was birthed in corporate prayer in Acts 1.14, just after Jesus had been taken to heaven. The disciples were told to go to Jerusalem and await the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says that the apostles, along with many others, all joined together constantly in prayer. All joined together constantly in prayer, united in prayer, waiting together in sustained prayer. And that's where the heartbeat started, right back there. And it says, and that's where they were when the promised outpouring eventually came and found them. It says that they were all gathered together and in one place. When the Spirit came suddenly in wind and fire, filling the whole house where they were sat. Not only was the early church started in prayer, it was founded in corporate prayer. They continued in prayer even after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.42 describes the community of believers as devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer, as the Lord added to their number daily. Acts 2.47. Prayer, corporately, was in their DNA. And it came from Jesus himself. Jesus Teach us to pray, the disciples asked. They've been watching him pray and said, how do you pray like that? And so he taught them to pray and he taught them to pray, our Father, in the plural. And the whole of the Lord's Prayer, I don't know if you've ever noticed, is written in plural. Jesus taught them to pray corporately. He expected them to pray together. And he even said on one occasion, corporate prayer is where the power is. Corporate prayer. In Matthew 18, he says, I, t- I truly tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Do you want answers to prayer? Agree <laughs> together. Come together in unity. You need to see something shift. You need to see something move. Come together and pray together, and it will move. It will be done for you. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am. You get God's attention when you come together and pray. And Paul agrees, writing to Timothy about the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church had lost its way. It's gotten into all kind of doctrinal error. All kinds of problems. And what does Paul do? do? First of all, he reinstates the centrality of corporate prayer in priority to everything else in church life. So in 
1 Timothy 2.1, Paul writes, I urge, I command, first of all, that prayers, petitions, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for all kings, for all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. And don't we need that right now? (laughs) Don't we need to do that? Don't we need to prioritize that when we pray tonight for our leaders? We need to pray for peaceful and quiet lives. We need to pray for peace. We're on the beginning of a potential uprising. And we need God to give authority and wisdom to our leaders. And at the same time, our leaders are being removed. Have you noticed that? But it had all gone wrong for the Ephesians church. And the first thought Paul has is to get prayer back into its right place. Restart the heartbeat of the church and it will bring life to the whole body. Keep the heartbeat going and the body will remain healthy. Going back to the book of Acts, it wasn't only birthed and founded in prayer, it was sustained in corporate prayer. Just a few pages on from Acts 2, where I've just read to you, it says that persecution breaks out. And in Acts 4, the apostles are beaten and commanded not to preach anymore. Wouldn't that be amazing? For our preaching to be so disturbing that the authorities come in and command us not to preach anymore? For the world to be turned upside down in such a way that they tell us to stop? Wouldn't that be amazing? But at the resp- in response to this, we find the church again coming together in prayer. Listen to this prayer meeting. Acts 4.24 When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He's unchanging. He's the creator. He's the beginner. He's the ending. He's the middle and everything in between. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Just take a look at these threats and enable your servants to speak even more. (laughs) Enable us, Lord, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says in verse 31 that after they prayed corporately together, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God powerfully. At the moment, our nation is being shaken. (laughs) The church needs to pray and the church's prayers will shake things. And shake things back into place. Shake things back into the order of the kingdom of God. In a few more chapters, we find that Peter has been arrested, and again, the church is together in prayer. Have you seen a theme emerging here? (laughs) And they're praying together, and it says that Peter appears at the door of where they're praying. I don't know how he got there. But it seems that they were so in the spirit in their meeting that their assumption when they heard that Peter was at the door wasn't that the prayers had been answered, but somehow his angel had been released 
and sent to them. I mean, what kind of realm were they living in? What kind of supernatural expectation did they have in their prayer meetings when prayer meetings shape buildings, when prayer meetings lead to the miraculous, where people are added daily, where people get released from prison, but not just the people, the angels even get released. I think that's amazing. And supernatural corporate prayer is the life and breath, the heartbeat of this church. But you know it's not always the case today. See, lots of churches doing great things, lots of work even in the community. Even lives changed. But very little prayer. I I don't quite understand how it works, but the two things seem mismatched to me. I also find little wisdom, really, in spiritual warfare, and so lots of trouble as a result. So they're doing the work, but not getting the spiritual protection. And I I find myself more and more listening for the heartbeat in the heart of the church and in the heart of its leaders, especially because leaders need to lead in this. Because, you know, you can have all the strategies and the management techniques that you like and you'll build a big church. You'll make an impact on your community. You don't have to be a Bible-believing Christian, if if you like, to make that kind of impact. Look at some of the fastest-growing religions in the world. They're not Bible-believing Christians, but they have great strategies, great management plans. You know, if there's no prayer, there's no power. And certainly very little authority. So how do you think we're doing? <laughs> Could we be doing more? Could the heartbeat get a little stronger here? Because God has got a calling on our lives, which Becky Webb set out so brilliantly last week. And if you missed it, I want to encourage you to listen to it. It was one of the most succinct descriptions of the calling that is on us as a church. And I'd encourage you to listen to that. But if that's the trajectory of where we're going, guys, we need a foundation, a heartbeat of prayer in the church. Because no church or ministry can be sustained without it. I came across um, a vivid example recently reading about Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Many of you all know about Charles Spurgeon. He was a very successful 19th century London preacher. And over the years, thousands of people over several decades were transformed under his ministry by the power of God. So he must know a thing or two. And people would often travel to his church from all around to learn the secret of his success. And that happens a lot now. People travel to all different places where God's breaking out stuff. What is the formula? What's the formula? Maybe it's your management technique, or maybe it's the way you disciple people, or maybe it's, maybe it's, or maybe it's. When the visitors would come to Spurgeon, he would show them the secret of success. It wasn't in the office. It wasn't in the books in his room. It wasn't his website or advertising. It wasn't even the worship band. Now he'd take them to the basement of the building, the prayer room. 
And in that prayer room, people were always on their knees interceding. There were always people in the prayer room praying for London. Don't we need that? Praying for the nation. And he called this prayer room the powerhouse of the church, saying that if the engine room is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. He goes on to say, we cannot expect blessing if we do not ask. (laughs) So how far do we want to go? How much influence do we want? How much do we want to see our nation change? How much do we want to see our community change? How many miracles do we want to see? How much breakthrough can we get from heaven and bring to earth? How many people do we want to see saved? How much finance needs to be released? There'll need to be a foundation or a heartbeat of corporate prayer. Because ultimately, corporate prayer is the key to mission. Ultimately, corporate prayer is the key to mission. It fuels mission. It leads to mission. I've been thinking about that time. I nearly did a talk on the household of prayer, you know, that passage, which is, it, it's in all four Gospels, which is unusual in itself. There aren't many things that are in all four Gospels, but this is one of them. It's the time when Jesus goes into the temple, driving out the merchants, throwing over the tables and uh, of the money changers, and he's shouting words from Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. My house will be called a den of prayer. Sorry, a house of prayer for all nations. That's the Isaiah reference. But you have made it a den of robbers. That's the Jeremiah reference. I love that phrase. There's something about that. A house of prayer for all nations. That really does something in me. All nations. House of prayer for all nations. It kind of describes the home of the heartbeat that I've been feeling. And I've always thought that this passage was mostly about prayer and against the commercialization of religion. So don't use religion to make money, pray for everyone. That's kind of how I've summed it up. And it is that to some degree, but it's so much more than that. As I've been reading around on this passage, I've been just meditating on it. I went back to the prophecies that Jesus was quoting. You'll see that it's a lot more to do with the salvation of the unbeliever. (laughs) completely to do with the salvation of the unbeliever and the falseness of religion without that sign. That's completely what that that passage is about. Jesus is upset because of the lack of effectiveness of the temple in mission. In seeing people come to know God. The money changers and the merchants had set up their stalls in the hall of the Gentiles, the place that God had set aside for the unbelievers to come in and find out about God, to pray alongside the Jewish people and to worship. It's always been in God's heart that everyone would come to the knowledge of him. Everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The household of prayer for all nations is about the mission of God to bring people from every tribe and tongue and nation into the kingdom. That's what the church is for. And this is what must fuel our prayers, the salvation of the unbeliever and for his kingdom to come in place of the injustice and the brokenness that we see all around us. And, you know, actually, 
When we talk and pray about mission, I think the heartbeat gets a little faster. It was in this context of looking outside the walls of established religion that Jesus showed his disciples the fields white for harvest. And the instruction comes, pray, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out the workers, Matthew 9.38. This is what I think the heartbeat is about. This is the wave that's about to break that uh, Chris and Tina prophesied, I think, a couple of weeks ago. This is the move of God that is coming, prayer that is connected to mission, an outpouring that is for the streets and for our cities. It's not for the church this time. We've had that. God's done that. I so identified with what Alan Scott said um, at the festival. I'm just going to read it to you. And can I just say, before I say this, I feel totally out of my depth and unqualified for this. I'm not having a go at anybody. I just want to underline to you what God is doing right now. Something that we're going to get caught up in. Okay, do you understand? Alan Scott says, I truly and fully believe the next great move of God is happening beyond the church. It's not going to be a movement in the church. It's going to be a movement of the church into society. Rewriting the story of education in our city, of health in our city, of unemployment and business in our city. It's my belief that God is repositioning the church to reach the whole city. Everyone, everywhere, Every day, communicating, demonstrating, and celebrating the supremacy of Christ in every corner of culture. The next move of God will involve everyone taking their everyday environments. Anybody got those? Everyday environments, their ordinary moments, and placing them before God as an offering. No more sacred secular. The kingdom is big enough for the whole city. I've just come back from last weekend from a prophetic conference. Now, prophets are always known for speaking to the church. There was hardly anything about speaking to the church. The whole weekend was about this. God's doing something. He's up to something. So encouraging. It's not about revival of the church, but coming spiritual revolution that affects the fabric and structures of the world. We so need God's kingdom to come in these places, in our schools, in hospitals. I visited um, Alex this week in the hospital where he works. And I was so moved by the need in that place. The desperate need for transformation. The desperate need for godly leadership, for wisdom. For a spirit of wisdom in that place. Thank God Alex is there. But we need his kingdom to come in local authorities, workplaces, families, marriages, and the leadership of our nation. We need God's kingdom to come. And a heartbeat of prayer is needed to come from the church. There's a call to pray, an urgency of prayer, but not just to pray. Prayer that fuels mission. 
a new confidence in the work of God in bringing his kingdom everywhere. And I think this will be nothing like we've ever seen or heard of before. Although some of us are already seeing it. In the last couple of weeks, I've had um, several people from the church come up and speak to me and say about amazing opportunities that they're having in the workplace like they've never known before. I'm not going to say names on the internet, but somebody was talking about in their school, as a teacher, the class asked him for what he believed in. And he had 10, 15 minutes just to talk about God and what he believed in. Somebody else who works in a big organization, the whole place stops in a banking sector because they want to hear about what he believes. And there's nothing that either of these people are doing particularly. Something is shifting. Something is happening. There's there's a move of God that is just a, a complete change. Like Angela said when she came, the wells are open. And we need to get used to the fact that it's different, because actually that's a shock. To know that actually they want to know. Have you heard what's happened in Reading this, this last few weeks? My friend Chris Kilby went out on the streets and he, he said 60 people made commitments for Jesus within an hour in the city of Reading. It's on the Jubilee page. Have a watch of that interview. He's totally kind of spaced out. He can't believe it. He's been evangelist all his life, dramatically saved at a young age. He says, I've never seen anything like this before. It's starting down there. It's going to sweep through the whole nation. Are we ready for that? I think this is going to be nothing like we've ever seen or heard of before. And I think God is beginning to catch us up in his mission. And that's some of the burden that I'm living with at the moment that I want to share with you. Because this isn't for me. This is us. This is a corporate burden that I believe that God is giving us now. What do we do with it? Well, you'll be glad to know I've got a three-point plan that's going to come up on the screen and show you exactly how we handle it. I haven't got a three-point plan. I have no idea what to do with that burden other than share it with you. But here's a few things I just want to say. What does a heartbeat of prayer look, sound, and feel like? Does it mean, for example, more meetings? Is this actually a a sneaky plug for the prayer meeting at Jubilee? That's what this is about. No, it's not about meetings, but it's about prayer. And prayer, especially corporate prayer, means some meetings. But as I hope you already know, I'm kind of not into guilting people into meetings. I'd like to see more people at more meetings, but honestly, if you're not spirit-led, you're better off not being there. If you're guilt-led, it will produce something that isn't godly. Even the name that we give to our prayer meeting is thirst. That's deliberate. It's felt that something that God spoke to us a couple of years ago is it's it's for the thirsty. So I'll often say, if you're thirsty, come. If you're not, I'd rather you didn't, being the implication. But I've got to say that if you're not thirsty and you never come, then there's a problem and we need to have another conversation about that. But it isn't just about coming to the meeting. 
it's, it's got to affect the whole of our lives. Because the kind of prayer that I'm talking about is like a heartbeat that is heard across the church. And it has to exist both inside and outside of our main meetings. It's something that's got to happen corporately amongst us. And I'm going to pray in a bit. I believe that God is going to do something sharing some of this burden with us today. But it's, for example, it's just a few ideas, all right? These are not meant to be prescriptive strategy plans, but it's things like cultivating the habit of praying together wherever we are together as church, including God in our conversations. There's been a kind of fear, especially around cool Christians, that actually finishing our time together by just praying, having a word of prayer, is a bit religious. And we're kind of afraid of being religious or having some kind of formula. Oh, for goodness sake. Why not just say, do you know what we've just talked about? Let's just involve God in that. We're just drinking coffee. We're just sitting in the pub. Let's just involve God in that. Let's just stop halfway through this conversation and let's involve God in that. Whether it's in the, your coffee morning as ladies, whether it's the toddler group. I mean, increasingly we're hearing, I'm hearing stories back of in toddlers, they're having to stop literally to pray for people during the morning. Because people want them to pray because there's answer to prayer after answer to prayer coming back from those toddler group meetings. Or even over the phone when you're having a conversation with somebody from the church. You say, can we just pray as we go? Or building prayer with text message and technology. Do you know, it so encourages me the amount of WhatsApp groups that go on around the church or other type of technology groups where people send out these messages saying, I'm such and such is happening, please pray for me. And they say that in complete faith that that group of people will pray for them. Now, just be careful that when you say, yes, I'll pray for you, you actually do, because God knows about that. I think there's an authenticity issue there. Be careful about what you say you'll do. But when the faith is exercised like that and people say, yes, I'll pray for you, I prayed for somebody on text message and his migraine went instantly. I texted back and said, this is Simon Clay. He says, I've got a migraine. Don't know if I'll be at the meeting today. I said, I'm not having that. So in the name of Jesus, I, come I typed it. In the name of Jesus, command that migraine to lift right now. Just get off him in Jesus' name. And he texted back a few seconds later saying, uh, it's gone. I'll be at the meeting then. Yes. <laughs> so don't you make those kind of excuses about not coming to the meeting. I'll get you. I'm in the process. I'm working with a guy at the moment. I've been asked to coach a prophet in Africa over Skype. And uh, as we were talking on one particular Skype conversation, I said to him, oh, my goodness, I didn't know this could happen on technology. An angel's just come and stood right behind you. I can see him right now. I described this angel to him. I said, I think he's here for your protection. And, and I feel like God said, and then I prophesied over him. I Skyped him a month later. He said, since that conversation, my life has changed. My prophecy ministry has gone up a whole load of levels. And I've, I've sensed that angel with me a number of times. He's in a dangerous place. And just knowing that he has angelic protection and support has completely changed the way that he thinks about his ministry. Skype. Microsoft. Corporate prayer, connecting together, or in, including corporate prayer as an essential part of our life groups. 
making a point of praying together, not just praying for each other, that can be easy to do, but praying for the mission of the church, praying for one another's mission in the workplace. Let's stand with each other. Let the heartbeat go out. Let's share the heartbeat. Don't just get overly pastoral in our groups. Encourage people for mission. Support people for mission. People, and I'm hearing this and I love it, I'm hearing of people meeting before, during, and after the working day, people in our church who work near each other to pray. That, that's the kind of thing. Why? Why are they doing that? It's all happened in the last month or two. People are being drawn together to pray. And then increasingly making our prayer room available. Something we're working on at the moment, we're making it available for groups or for individuals to go in and pray. I met a couple in there uh, on Thursday. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> we met there just to show them around the room. We ended up going into the encounter room, which if you haven't been in yet, you should try. An hour and a half later, we hadn't realized time had passed, and I got locked out of the office because God just came. God's up to something. It was no effort at all to sit in the presence of God for that time together. And just to say about the prayer room, just about any time we can make that room available if you give us some notice. So do ask. We will do our best to facilitate you in that. It would be great to have life groups go in there and pray. Just go and pray around, around the walls, go and pray together. Or for groups of people in business to go in and pray together. That's what we want to use for. We want to use as many times as possible. And we'll even have other churches going in there and praying with us too, I'm sure. So there are all kinds of creative ways that we can pray, but pray we must. And you know, a heartbeat, I think that's a good picture, because a heartbeat is a muscle and it needs to be exercised. And we need to exercise this muscle to have a healthy heartbeat in this body that we call Jubilee.